2: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Raptors over everything podcast rate review, subscribe on your podcast platforms and on YouTube. Yo, come on now. Go do it. Subscribe, like to all the content and subscribe and like to this video right here because I'm going to do some content with my man as found of uh, the score. Every time I think the offseason is way too long, it gets even longer.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, especially this off season, right? Because it's not as like transaction heavy. There isn't like this. Yes, obviously the overarching Kevin Durant thing uh, sagas, yes, you yes, know. Yes, but yes, like, yes. but in general, it's been a pretty quiet off season after like mid July. So it's it, this is kind of rare for NBA territory
2: this durant thing is continuously just being like it's a it's a thorn now at this point yeah. it's a thorn that we're just like it's in our backs and we're like can you just get it out please can we just <laughs> like end this please yeah it keeps yeah. on going on we got the recent news for those who may not have heard that he had a meeting with nets ownership and he said that uh, pretty much either you get rid of sean marks and steve nash or you trade me it's one or the other i don't want to work with them because they're apparently that bad even though i think Katie has something to do with Steve Nash getting there in the first place. Anyways, that's where we're at. And, uh, Nets ownership is kind of like, Hey, you know what? Um, no, we trust our coaches and they tweeted about it. So it is what it is. Here we are. We're waiting for him to be traded essentially. And we thought that we thought it'd get to this point, right? Who's going to win the game of chicken.
3: Oh yeah. Essentially. It is a game of chicken. And I just, to, to your point, I hope it's over soon because like, let's just get to the training camp stuff. Let's get on with our lives. There's more exciting talk than just <laughs> where Kevin Durant is going to land, in my opinion. So, yeah, I agree with you.
2: However, I did, I guess, give it a little bit of spice to a couple of days um, this week. Could certainly use a bit of spice, other than, you know, Fred VanVleet back playing basketball with his teammates and Scotty Barnes, making jumpers from absolutely everywhere, it seems. And that's what we're going to yeah. talk about with us. We're going to talk a little Rico Hines, um, what we've seen from there, Fred VanVleet making his uh, debut at those runs. We'll look at Fred's role this season, and then we'll finish it out with a little game that uh, actually S helped me out to uh, figure out. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. But first, S uh, Rico Hines runs. Yeah. Let's start. Well, I'll let you start. Where do you wanna Where do you want to start? What's been your takeaway? One of your um, main take.
3: I mean, I think I think the thing that jumps out to everybody is how big Scotty has gotten um, since we last mm. saw him it, it, against the Sixers. It just seems like. You know, he has wings for his back now. Like it's just <laughs> his his lattice dormus. I think that's what it's called. His lattice dormus is just massive, you know? Yes. Um so it, ju- it it he's just gotten bigger, man. And like the muscle that he's put on, the size that he's put on makes me think that, you know, obviously he's he's getting to a point where physically he feels a lot more comfortable in the mm-hmm. rhythm of the NBA, like working out kind of getting his routine going which is which is always great to see i think that's one thing that caught my eye initially but you know obviously all things scotty barnes um at those rico runs were really interesting because he was shooting a lot more he was initiating he was kind of handling the ball a lot more than you might have expected so it's it's cool to see him go through these progressions and be like okay maybe grab a uh like a little piece here and there. Obviously you gotta take Rico Hines runs with a grain of salt. Yes, like, of course. But like at the same time it's it's great to see what he's developed, what he's improved on, and like what he's focusing on, mm. which is the shooting too, man. The shooting. I know you saw the shooting.
2: Ooh-wee. Mm-hmm. now I did a video a little while ago it was a YouTube video and I was looking at some of the highlights from Brian, Brian Macken who I actually ended up speaking uh, speaking to um, that's Scotty Barnes' basketball trainer and I, you saw you saw some differences in some of the clips that we saw on uh, Brian's IG account and you saw that Scotty's one his torso was, wasn't as movement heavy um, his follow through was better he was much more engaged with his legs on his jumper yeah. these are all good things all things that you need to have a solid jumper and then I spoke to Brian about it and he's like yes he's working on these things it's really important to him he's making sure that the last point of contact is uh is his index finger on his jumpers the knees they're bent there's a flow to his jumper now it's not as rigid as it used to be it seems like it, it seemed like his his legs and his torso were doing different things at points now there's a real rhythm to it and the shooting like i mean again you gotta take it with a grain of salt but i think with these runs you can look at the things that players are trying and Something like a jump shot, uh, the flow, shot readiness, shot preparation. All these things are much better with this jumper. And uh, man, I mean, I looked at the Raptors last year and I had some discussions with people on, on Twitter about this when it came to, you know, do they start Precious Achua or do they start Gary Trent Jr. And to me, to be, to have an effective, I don't know, final lineup, your best lineup has to have at the very least four league average three-point shooters i think that's Mm -hmm. where we are with the nba now and if they were to start you know last season at least pascal siakam uh, scotty barnes they weren't there right but then you had gary fred and og all terrific three-point shooters but even they all had their trials and tribulations but now going into this season there is reason to believe that the raptors could have on the court at least five league average three-point shooters yeah, I think Scotty and Pascal Siakam are going to be there, and Fred. I mean, he looks he looked great in that uh, one run that we saw a couple days ago. Um, what were your thoughts on Fred? Vim? Actually, anything else on Scotty Barnes? He's Scotty Barnes. There's lots to talk about. I,
3: I just I, I just wanted to talk to you about like yeah. the the shooting motion specifically the mm. the chain the chain reaction that you see in his body is so much yeah. smoother on pull up jumpers now. Um, obviously, outside of the Rico Hines run. Uh, he was at a Pro-Am game in Utah, I believe, Salt Lake City yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, and you just saw the the fluidity in his jump shot sure. so much more. You mentioned the knees, like he's using his knees a lot more. It's the It's the kind of chain reaction from your legs all the way up to where your release point is. Like a sure. lot of that is stuff that you, I mean, I'm not going to go into like, biometrics i'm not that type of
1: uh nba analyst
3: <laughs> but at the same time you can kind of tell these little things it's like yeah yes he's clearly improved on this and to me that means that one uh he's gonna get more on-ball reps coming to the next season which is it it's a given right yep. uh, and, and on top of that i think we're gonna see him attempt more pull-up jump shots mm. uh we we saw it a little bit here and there i think i think the mid-range stuff is is what he really focused on last year. Um, And, you know, catch and shoot threes. But I do think we see a decent uptick in his pull up shooting, which is something that I'm excited for. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how he kind of develops that and adds that to his repertoire.
2: When I talked to Brian, he talked about, um, he's already, when it comes to Scotty, you know, transition, he's terrific, right? He's damn near unstoppable out on the break. And But in the half court, because of his role in the Raptors offense, because they have so many players who could get you a bucket, you know, anyone can put up 25 points, right? He's got to be really efficient with the shots that he gets. How does he do that? Well, it's a part is, you know, being shot ready. Right. And uh, Brian talked about, you know, when it comes to Scottie, like he has the mechanics and all the the things we talked about, you know, the biometrics, as you will, they're there. But sometimes it is just like expecting the ball and being shot ready when, you know, anticipating when the ball is going to be coming your way. And it's like that one second of difference where your hands are a little bit more ready, your feet are set. And that kind of stuff can really make a difference. That game six against the 76ers, second half. I swear I should have had like a restricted rating to it because it was awful. And what, yeah. what do we see, right? It was Joel Embiid pretty much zoning up in, in the paint. He was leaving Scotty Barnes out of the three-point line saying, I want to see you make some shots. And Scotty didn't do it. He shot like six threes and maybe one of them, two of them went in. But even the way that the shots are going in, they're swishes now. And the, the shots that he was hitting last season, when they did go in, they would kind of rattle in and that kind of stuff matters. That means you're getting better arc shot. There's better fluidity. There's better contact with, uh, with your fingers and um, where the last point of contact is. That kind of stuff does matter. There's a reason why NBA players count swishes. That's a fact. They do yeah. that, right? Yeah. And it's because that's showing like how how clean your release is and how clean your motion is. And Scotty now, again, based off some Rico Hines runs and some <laughs> warm-up clips, um, it seems like that kind of stuff is happening for him. It's a terrific sign. It's crazy to think where he was last season. Probably at this point, we're thinking that he was a no-level scorer. I'm using quotes for those listening. And now he's showing signs of being a potential three-level scorer, this coming season maybe not in isolation on the three-point line that's something that probably you know pascal we want him to do to to be able to hit those pull-up threes um from the three-point line but scotty he could be a league average three-point shooter the signs are there the catch and shoot percentage should probably go up and then his pull-up in mid-range i mean if that is something he can add it's going to help diversify his offense so it doesn't have to be so much around the basket
3: the other thing, and this is really quick, is that um, you know I've noticed his handle has gotten a lot tighter. Uh, mm. He used to, he has to have a, a very high dribble, like yeah. it would come up all the way to his hips, and you can tell now in the in the clips that we've seen that it's a lot lower. He has a little bit more control of the ball, and obviously that's gonna that's gonna not only is that gonna help in his playmaking in his navigation of pick and rolls and whatnot, but it also helps a lot with your jumper because. Getting the ball in position to actually release it and having it in a spot where you like it, it's a huge yeah. part of being a shooter. So especially a pull-up shooter. So yeah, mm. I, I think that's that's another area where kind of caught my eye at Rico. It's yeah. like, oh, his handle is his handle's gotten nicer, tighter.
2: It's hard to not get a little bit carried away with the potential Scotty Barnes. After seeing what he's done yeah. just a couple of months of an offseason, we were told he was gonna get a lot better. He said it himself. Um, the David Thorpe's of the world said so that he was going to use this offseason to get much better. Brian Mackin, dude I spoke to, said this guy has like an unbelievable work, a work ethic and he just continuously is striving to get better and he's very motivated. And here he is now and again, we're still not done with the offseason. You can still get better people.
3: <laughs> you can still get better. <laughs> Crazy i remember stuff, i remember the night after he got drafted seven in the morning he was at yes. in the gym working out and then you guys interviewed him like maybe two three hours afterwards so like exactly it, yeah it, yeah the work ethic is there it shows it's so clear as that yeah Also on the adding pounds, the LBs, I want
2: to shout out Chris Boucher because I think it's pretty apparent. I mean, he's got a pretty slender build, but I see some extra pounds on that body of his. And he's spoken openly about his struggles with uh, trying to gain weight. It's not something that happens naturally for everyone, but it seems like maybe he found something here because he does look a little bit bulkier. And for him, like, I don't think the key is that he has to get, you know, add 15, 20 pounds of muscle because he doesn't have that kind of body. And also that's not really his game. It's good that he's as agile as he is as bouncy as he is. It's just adding a couple more pounds. So some of those power forward ish, whatever power forward is now, the Michael greens of the world, the Jeff greens, whoever, those kinds of players don't give him problems anymore. Obviously uh, Jokic and Embiid, of Tunis, there are going to be issues. There are issues for most people in the NBA, but yeah. just being able to hold your weight against more players um, down the paint, and especially when it comes to defensive rebounding, offensive rebounding, that's where his leaping ability you know, really shows. But defensively, that's where it can be a little bit tougher to keep yeah. some of those bigger bodies um, off of the boards. And the Raptors, obviously, they were, I believe, the worst defensive rebounding team in the NBA last year. So good stuff for, for Chris. And it seems like he's got some a bit more confidence um, attacking closeouts too. But that's like yeah. one of
3: those... How much does it really matter what we see in a Rico Hines run? But um, I actually I uh, no I'm gonna be honest with you. That was the first thing that caught my ah, eye okay. It's it's yeah. him attacking closeouts. And yeah. I think the muscle is a part of it though, because mm-hmm. you know, you, you see a lot of um contact when you're actually trying to attack a closeout and then you have guys reaching in and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, from what I remember last season, he did have a decent amount of pokeouts on those closeouts. So like mm-hmm. when he's trying to when he's trying to attack the rim, guys will poke the ball out and he's kind of keeping the ball in front of him like this. Yeah. If he develops a little bit more, adds a little bit more muscle, becomes refined Mm. in that, then I think, you know, that becomes a little bit better and he can become a better driver as well. Just a better finisher at the rim. That's going to be huge uh, when it comes to, like, just weak side. Pascal comes, kicks it out to the weak side. Now you see Boucher, he Mm. attacks a closeout. He's not going to get the ball poked out anymore because of that added muscle. So stronger
2: hands, the hands. Fred bleed hands. yes, Uh, Yeah. yeah. Love it. Speaking (laughs) of tighter handles, Pascal um, again, Rico Hines, I keep on saying this Rico Hines run, who knows, but when you mentioned, you know, uh, Scotty Barnes and uh, the ball being tighter to his body and uh, not Mm -hmm. being fluctuating as much, um, there are, Occasions last season with Pascal that we kind of just saw him lose a ball, not always in turnovers, but he would be dribbling, he just lose a ball, right? Yeah. And he's worked extensively on keeping his body lower to the ground to obviously control your dribble better. But now it seems like he's adding a bit more finesse to it, where he's really comfortable doing crossovers. And these like, little, little changes to Pascal's game, it's going to make him more of a face-up player. And he's talked about it. Nick Nurse has talked about it, that he has to be more of a face-up player. That's what all the greats are, right? They're not always posting up when you're on the perimeter. You can't be uh, doing post-ups from the three-point line, right? You got to be able to see things coming. You got to be able to see cutters coming. You got to be able to see your teammates. You got to see the court. You got to use that vision passing, which he already has. He's already... shown that he's got this basketball IQ that's continuously growing and he's able to find players when he was getting all kinds of doubles this past season and having a better dribble. You know, He makes those first two moves. If his head is still up because he's still confident in his handle, he's going to be able to find other drivers. He's going to have a better, probably a better finishing ability around the rim too if he's got a better handle on the ball. Um, Those are some things that I saw from him but uh, I think some people were a little bit down on the first clip we saw from the Rico (laughs) Hines run where (laughs) Pascal was missing a lot man on oh yeah. that, they're like hasn't hey, been working out at all like, what's going on here like oh
3: uh, that 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 yeah. is the funniest thing because yeah. it's like it's both sides of it right we can react we can overreact to a scotty barnes you know dribble <laughs> and all, pull up three yeah. and then yeah, on the yeah. other side we can also overreact to oh my god it pascal yeah. missed like two jumpers I, I think a lot of a lot of times people <laughs> players use rico as a way to warm up and like mm. get into their their routine. So I think Pascal in a yeah. lot of ways is probably similar to that where he's using this mo- this week or whatever that they're in Rico to kind of get into rhythm and then build sure. off of that into whatever he does for the rest of the offseason. Mm. I'll say about Pascal. Um, I think when it comes to that handle getting tighter and him being more of a, a face-up player, you look at a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo and I'm not making a comparison between the two, but. Mm. What he was doing uh, two, three seasons ago, which was an MVP caliber season. Yeah. He was a lot more of a, okay, I'm going to dribble at you. But as soon as I see a little bit of pressure, I have to turn around and post up because my my handle isn't tight enough. That's changed now for Giannis. He is very comfortable getting into a little bit of a crossover in Mm -hmm. between, try to beat you off the dribble. And he doesn't go to a go-to post up, you know? Same thing kind of applies to Pascal. Not in mm. the same vein because Giannis is just Giannis, right? Yeah. But in that same light, you don't want to have your go-to move be a post-up. So if you can sure. get to the face-up, get into a crossover in between, that is a perfect way to kind of build out a, a better yeah. offensive repertoire. Um, and man, with that being said, like this year for Pascal coming up, he is in the midst of his prime. He is entering uh, a a a stage in his career where he feels a level of comfort. And I think mm. that is going to be huge when it comes to like, just what he knows and what he doesn't know about his game. Like he, he, at this sure. point, there's a level of self-awareness that is huge when it comes to Pascal and him being able to recognize, okay, I need to do this better. I need to do that better. He's mentioned it in a lot of, you know, yeah. interviews that he's done recently too. I think that's huge going into next season. So
2: yeah, and yeah. Knowing right. When it's obvious to you and you're looking at your game and you're the things that you need to work on and your weaknesses, if you can say that these are the things I got to work on. And obviously three-point shooting was probably one of the, the biggest goals for him, but there are other small things in there that he needs to improve about his, his game. And when you're trying to become the best version of yourself and trying to be, you know, a top five player, there are always things to work on,
0: exactly. obviously,
2: but yep. uh, with Pascal now um, looking at a three-point shot, you know, the pull-up shot, just being able to get better offensive looks, further away from the basket because there is going to be crowds around him. Um, probably not, well, at least hope not, to the extent that it was this past season because the Raptors' facing will be better because hopefully they have better three-point shooters, which is going to open up things for everybody. But making his life easier, right? His offense is very difficult right now. And it's yeah. by choice because that is the strength of his game, is being able to get in the paint and cause havoc. But sometimes you do need, even for the longevity of his career, right? Sometimes you do need to be able to get better offense further away from the basket. It could be pull-ups, it could be handoffs, just being able to hit those free throw line extended shots a bit more consistently. And uh, I love the pull-ups. I love his uh, being able to step back uh, this past season. He really did take a step there as well. Um, yeah. All very good things for him. And uh, it's going to make him, who might be his best season yet coming up here.
3: It might be honestly. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it really might be. I think uh, that mid range point you brought up is really interesting because uh, we saw such an improvement last season through yeah. that, and there's no reason that that can't get better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the thing is. So l- let me look at this. I just wanted to double check. He shot on long mid range on all mid range shots. He shot forty six percent, which is in the eightieth percentile for his position. Mm-hmm. It's, pre- it's pretty damn good. Yeah. Um And he's ever improving in that. So sure. I think. <clears throat> the biggest thing with him is obviously like just getting into rhythm. And like you said, with the handle getting tighter with Scotty and how that is going to help his pull-up jumper, the same thing applies to Pascal. If your handle is tighter, you're going to be able to get into a motion a lot quicker, the shooting motion a lot quicker. um, And it just makes life easier for you as a, as a creator.
2: On that percentage, too, I think it's important to keep in mind the kind of players who we're going to be shooting from the mid-range area. Those are like, I love, I like calling the mid-range area the survival of the fittest. Where only the strong survive, mob deep, because people can't, not everyone can make (laughs) baskets from there, right? It's a really hard spot. It's like, that's why the NBA transitioned to, you know, three-point shots and layups. Because the mid-range area, there's less space. It's very crowded. um, It's tougher. And yeah. so him being able to be at that, at that percentage against some of the other players, a LeBron, a Kevin Durant, a Brandon Ingram, even those kinds of players who are able to hit Devin those Booker, kinds of shots. Devin Booker, DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, yeah all that, it. man. Like, yep. it's a pretty impressive percentage, right? Mm-hmm. That means he's being accurate. He's reading the defenses really well. And he's, like, not uh, throwing up shots that he's not really sure about. He's being very calculated with his mid-range game. so. Love that from him. Wanted to mention Delano Banton, who actually Rico Hines in one of the videos shouted out saying, I don't I didn't know anything about you, but I like you. This kid can play. Right. That's Rico Hines, man, who's like one of the kings of development. He's saying this. And there have been a lot of people who have been a little bit down on Delano because his past season, maybe in uh, summer league this past uh, couple months ago a lot of turnovers, that is his flaw, right? He plays a very frantic kind of game, but I want to give him credit for the way he looked, again, Enrico Hines, the way he looked against some of the other best players on the Raptors. And I say that because I don't know if he's going to be necessarily a backup point guard this coming year, but I do think that he could potentially carve out a role as a rotation piece, as a person who's able to, you know, hit catch and shoot threes, who can slash to the basket, if he's able to, you know, show up on the defensive end and get the principles and that kind of stuff because that's really important to Nick. But yep. he does offer things off the bench that not all rotation players are able to do. You mentioned Chris Boucher, the way he was attacking close Delano, off the bench, he may be the best person, actually, who could be attacking close because of his leaping ability, those long strides. He needs two, three strides to go the length of the court. Imagine that in the half court. And he does finish really well around the rim. There is a sneaky role there that DeLano could carve out for himself if he's able to continue to hit shots and if he's able to you know, make smart decisions. But the good thing about being a role player in this sense is that he's not going to have like the primary ball-handling role. It's going to be secondary. He's going to be able to yeah. just be really advantageous with the opportunities that are much more clear for him. Right? He's not going to be the primary decision-maker. He can be the second and the plays are going to be much easier for him to, to snuff out, you know?
3: I think that's probably the best for his development too. And it's funny that Rico sure. Hines obviously said that he, he's impressed by him because Rico is going to be developing him throughout yeah. this next season. Yeah. Um, but I, I think him off ball is probably best for his development just because of the fact that he is such an explosive player. Mm-hmm. He's he's great at attacking closeouts. Like you said, He ha- he's long. He has these strides that he can make. And I think that is a huge part in him filling out a role this season. You can Mm. still develop the on-ball skills at a later date through G League, through Summer League, whatever you want to do. But I think in carving a role out Mm. for this season... Yeah. off ball is probably makes most sense. And and by the way, I think his decision making was also really improved during Summer League. I th- yeah. I thought he made some great decisions. You. Yes, of course, the yeah. turnover stuff was was still persistent and he was still playing a sporadic style, but mm-hmm. I think in terms of his decision making, his reading of the floor, seeing the weak side, yeah. seeing okay, he can do the skip pass instead on a pick and roll. Like these are the little things that I yeah. think he's starting to figure out. Yeah. And that it, as long as he gets some kind of um, you know, I'd say maybe like 10, 15 minutes, maybe at the start of the season. And maybe that Mm. dwindles down as the season gets more competitive, but you can give him these opportunities and see what he can do with it, especially because he has the length, the build necessary for what the Raptors are looking for.
2: Sure. It's that North South speed, right? Being able to attack a closeout and being able to finish high above the rim, um, the slashing, the athletic finishing, Yep. Again, these are things that the Raptors don't necessarily have coming off their bench, at least not in like in a plentiful amount of ways. So there's a role for him, and I'm I'm curious how he's able to kind of uh, embrace that this upcoming season. The Raptors are already very deep, right? They can go nine deep without even thinking about it. Then that's not even including Ken Birch, right? Who probably will uh, be a bit more healthier this year,
3: hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. yeah, and then
2: and then you're at ten, right? So you got ten players right there. I would I mean. You wouldn't which think is the which Vansley is three been.
3: more, which is three more than you had last year because yeah, it was true. it was a seven man, seven yeah. and a half man rotation for yeah. a a good amount of last season. So yeah, I, adding Auto, um, obviously hoping that you know one of Malachi or Delano Banton, hopefully both can kind of contribute mm. something for you, and then adding you know obviously Ken Birch being healthy would would be sure those ten players that that's yeah. much more than you had last season working with depth wise. Hey man, exactly.
2: Malachi Flynn also looked good too. He had his moments, right? Yeah, yeah,
3: uh, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think for Malachi, the big thing, and like I, I've said this so many times, but it's
1: So start looking in the right place with LinkedIn. You can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
3: It just seems like it's confidence with him. It's yeah. just be, being assertive in what you know and what you can do. Um, yeah. you know, we mentioned this with Pascal a little bit earlier in terms of like self awareness, but just knowing what your strengths are playing to those strengths. And I think, you know, I, I'm not sure if Christian Coloco ends up getting tons of playing time, but Mm-mm. that that pairing is fairly interesting for me in terms of like a pick and roll partnership, because now yeah. Coloco can create so much space for him with those screens. So I, I think they're like, I, I still am holding out hope because I do think Malachi, uh, he, there is there is a role to be had there for Malachi.
2: Yeah, it's just really going to come down to how the Raptors want to want to approach it. Right. Um, We're going to get to Fred Van Vliet in a second here, but you know, how much is Fred Van Vliet going to be on ball? Um, How much is Scotty going to be on ball? Who's going to bring the ball up? It's like little things like that, that you could really kind of tinker with things. And I'm not sure where Toronto is with it, you know, Um, I like the idea of Malachi Flynn getting, you know, five, 10 minutes. I like the idea of Delano Banton getting five and 10 minutes, but also that's taking away minutes from other players. And, you know, we don't want the starters playing 37 minutes, 39, 40, but they should be playing 32, 33, 34. and, they're Them doing that, it doesn't really leave that much space for other on-ball creators, other dribblers, other primary ball handlers. There isn't that much, especially considering what Pascal and OG, who probably should get a bit more of a role there too, and Scotty are going to offer. So it's a, it's a tricky one. I'm curious how nick nurse decides to go about it um obviously his he's got to be a knockdown shooter <laughs> yeah that has to happen and um that's pretty much where it's at maybe he just needs kyle wilcher to be his pick and roll partner <laughs> because they had a, a great thing going there they did
3: actually yeah that was actually yeah. a really good connection um yeah. i mean when it comes to fred and like you mentioned the off ball on ball stuff um i think that is the clearest solution for figuring out how to get more mm. reps and more on-ball reps for Scotty and for a, a, an OG. Yeah. I think it just makes the most sense to have Fred off-ball more. And if you think about Fred in general, he's also mentioned it as well. He's malleable to change. He's 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 sure. willing to adapt. He's willing to kind yeah. of figure out what's necessary for the team. Sure. He said it himself in an interview. He's he's completely fine not bringing up the ball every single yeah. time. And I think in a lot of ways last year, especially when Pascal was out, he probably overexerted himself in terms mm-hmm. of on-ball reps, um, and I think scaling that back would just make sense for his, the longevity of his career. Sure. When it comes to off-ball, though, there's no, there's really no better player. May, there, there's a mm-hmm. couple other players, mm-hmm. but genuinely there's no yeah. other player in the league that can be as good defensively as he is offensively yeah. as this off-ball player in a Fred VanVleet. Uh, it's really, really hard to find. It's a rare rare thing because you can slot him into any mm. type of contender, any type of championship sure. team, and he will be an off-ball player for you. But he can also be an all-star level guy on both. Yeah. So it's this give and take, but I do think that is the clear solution for getting Scotty mm. more reps, for getting OG more reps. And it also puts Fred in a position where he's kind of being at his best, which is this yeah. off-ball catch-and-shoot guy who sure. can kind of attack a closeout, create from there. Yeah. And it's not like they're going to be taking away every single on-ball rep of his. It's just scaling it back to a point where you can mm. ivy it up a little bit more.
2: i going to hit you with uh, Samuel Jackson. I got some stats for your ass. You ready for this? Because it <laughs> goes right, cool. to
3: everything. You, you, you created a perfect pivot for me
2: here. So um, his usage last season up until February 16th was 26.1. Okay? okay. Offensive miles ran per game in that time. He was at 1.61, most in the NBA. Yeah, Defensive miles ran in that same time span, 1.26, fourth most in the NBA. No one else is in the top five. A shout out to DeJounte Murray and uh, Tyrese Maxey who are pretty close to there, but that's, that's what his workload was. And then to what you're talking about. Okay. Shooting 91st percentile in three point shooting 33% on pull-up threes, 43% on catch and shoot threes (laughs) while, while, having only 10% of his threes considered open, 10% wow. of his threes were considered open. Wow. Thank you, basketball index. You are a godsend. Yes. Meanwhile, driving, okay, 55% at the rim, not great, right? 55% in total isolation effective field goal percentage, again, not great, but also 93, 93% of those rim attempts were unassisted. So- It's him essentially going down the paint and just trying to make things happen. That was a product of the injuries and the role that he had. And he was essentially the primary creator, right? He was tasked with that right decision. Maybe not. But then you look a little bit further into it. And then his driving assists, his pass out rate, that kind of stuff. It's very good, right? It's in the 88th percentile. So he's making smart decisions when he gets there. Obviously, to put this all together it goes to exactly what you're saying right he's able to attack in the paint he's able to do that he's a great decision maker but if you want to get the best out of fred it's a catch and shoot role it's um bringing him off screens it's him being a decision maker in the pick and roll right because he can make good decisions but he needs that pick and roll partner love seeing what he did with christian coloco i'm certain that was not the first time they played together
3: no, there's no way, Not at all. right? No way, no way, man. man. No
2: there was way. a play that they did. They did a pick and roll and then they did a reset into a dribble handoff and it led <laughs> yeah, to so. another, a Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, Coloco, alley. I'm like, you've done that before. <laughs> you've done that many times and you know, but it's a, a probably another progression that Fred can make as a pick and roll ball handler, right? Is how he's able to hone in on that Kyle Lowry ability of his, that Chris Paul ability is using angles and timing to become a pick and roll master and really create those advantages. I mean, I've said it, you've said it, I'm sure. We've all said it, that they need more pick and roll, right? Fred being a better pick and roll ball handler, better decision maker, being able to do some of those inverted pick and rolls with uh, Pascal, Scotty, OG, you can use his gravity as a shooter, as a threat. And then you combine that with his decision making. And if you have an elite decision maker further away from the basket, that to me sounds like you're stretching the defense.
3: Yeah, Sorry. there was there was actually a game I want to yeah. say it was against the Wizards where the Raptors essentially won the game just based off those in their inverted pick and rolls. It was mm, Pascal coming up, yeah. Fred setting the screen, yeah. two times in a row he he kind of flashed, uh actually no he flared he flared to like the left wing I think and sure. it wide open every single time. Yeah. That is like because they recognize that mm. they want a lot more games and putting yeah. him off ball was actually something that helped a lot, especially when Pascal came back because he he took a lot mm. of the on-ball duties. Yeah. I would expect the same thing apply to Scotty and OG coming up this season. And mm. again, you need a guy who's malleable to that. You need a guy who's sure. willing to do that. And it seems like Fred is also willing to do that. And I, I remember yeah. Nick Nurse mentioned in an interview, I believe on – Might have been uh, Tim, Tim and Sid, or I I can't remember what it was, but he did also mention that like, that is kind of the plan to give Scotty more on-ball reps, to give OG Anobi more on-ball reps and, you know, move Fred a little bit more off ball because that's where he's at his best.
2: Yeah. And looking back at some of those games in January, before we potted, I decided to look at some of the. where where, where were shots coming from and he was still bringing the ball up quite a bit even though the Raptors were in the midst of you know changing this identity Pascal was kind of finding his game Scotty was doing his thing Fred was still the primary player bringing the ball up you know Mm -hmm. possession by possession and if that changes it really does this change like everything about the offense right it's a whole new look to it and uh with him I mean again some of those clips it seems like he he was hitting 30 foot catch and shoot shots 30 foot Catch and shoot shots, people like that. That's serious. I don't care if one went in, two went in, and it's an edited clip. He's hitting them. And if you want to bet on Fred Van Vliet, I would bet that he's going to be able to hit those shots during the season two. Yep. He was getting lower, he was clearly much healthier. Probably the, that, that saw, probably the biggest
3: thing that's probably the biggest thing,
2: yeah. Is that he was much lower. You could really see that he was getting into those legs and uh bending him and generating that power. And then releasing the shot is is beautiful. And you really have to make sure also that you carve out space for Fred to be that defensive guru, intelligent basketball player that he is. His screen navigation, um, getting in passing lanes, 1.7 steals per 70 possessions. That's in like the 95th percentile. This yep. is where you really do unlock. Uh, the, the abilities of Fred Van Bleet. and he's still a very versatile defender it's hilarious that he spent 16.3% of his positions defended at small forward and 11% on power forwards and 8% on centers but that <laughs> but that speaks to like his to what he is right he's he's looking he knows where the ball's gonna be going that's probably the best thing for Fred right it's yeah. be that the defensive monster and then also have a probably a lesser role in offense but still very important
3: yeah, I think I think we saw last year that like, look, there there is a possibility that he can have this um, high you know, usage type of he mm. can be this type of player. But at the same time, it, it probably doesn't make sense longevity wise to have him like no. that. Um, yeah. And, you know, like you mentioned, I think I think the versatility on defense mm. is something that you want to keep and and have him have for essentially is the rest of his career if you continue at that workload it probably makes him worse and worse of a defender it it makes his defense kind of tail off yeah so it makes sense makes sense to me that that he moves more Mm. to an off ball role than anything else but yeah
2: do you think he's going to get extended this off season
3: Uh, i think he's uh seeing all the money being thrown around and saying (laughs) i'm probably gonna get more in 2023 i think i think he probably waits it out Uh, And I I don't think that's the wrong decision either. I think he's obviously going to have a pretty decent season, whether it's Mm. all-star caliber again, who knows, but um, I think he will end up having a really great season, hopefully a healthy season. Um, Mm. And then in 2023, you know, you go up for that extension. I think obviously he's going to end up getting paid more, especially with a guy like Jalen Brunson getting paid the paycheck that he, he got against the Knicks, sorry, with the Knicks. Yeah. Kind of makes you second guess yourself and be like, all right, you know what? Maybe I will test free agency yeah. and see where the money is in 20. Exactly. So.
2: And just some uh, background cap stuff that I was able to uh, learn from John Hollinger. Thank you so much for putting this in your article. But um, there is a certain amount that Fred is allowed to be extended, you know, in terms of salary. It's like yes. 20, 30%. Um, and with the new TV deal and a new CBA pending, that kind of stuff could change in the new CBA naturally, right? The t- NBA is making more money. So they're going to allow players to make more money as well. So say, you know, the most his, uh, his salary can go up is 20%, but now in this new deal, it can be like 35%. That's another 10, 15, $20 million I can go in Fred's pocket. Why wouldn't you explore that? And even if he does have a bad season, God forbid, right? It's a player option. So he's able to opt in, then just like get healthy, you know, show yourself to be you know back to all-star form again, the next season. And then again, you're in a position where you're able to, make some more money so I, I i would imagine he's gonna wait and i think he should no different than you know gary Trent jr he should explore too right yep, make your money absolutely. and the raptors got to make their decisions at that point to what they're gonna do with all these very talented players who are um in their prime or entering the money their prime. the money
3: is gonna get tight man Ooh, especially money 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 i mean i hate money. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I hate the i hate the conversation of of like money and extensions because like, I'm always pro get these guys paid as much as as yeah. as much as they're worth. But at the same time, it's things are going to get expensive. Look, Precious is coming up for an extension. Scotty will be coming up in no time. And then yeah. you obviously have Gary, Pascal, OG, Fred that you have to deal with too. So things are going to start to get expensive mm-hmm. for the Raptors.
2: And that's why, you know, Kevin Durant, this thing came up, is that the Raptors know that this decision is coming, yep. right? And so he's like, do we just, you know, make a call like this to uh, give those players a new home? get a chance to make their money and then we get Kevin Durant for four years but I mean that's a whole nother thing we'll see what happens he's, be a Celtic. Or, he's gonna yeah. be a Celtic you know I think we know right I do
3: yeah I, I think at the end of the day he will be a Celtic especially yeah. with the report that came out I think like two mm. hours ago that yeah. he's, he's listed the Sixers and Celtics as some of his preferred destinations oh, so okay. see we'll see what happens we'll see what happens so I, will though, again? So I will say though that, that would be the funniest outcome by far yeah. if he somehow ends up on the Sixers mm.
2: Weren't they at a Travis Scott concert together? They were. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. So
2: they buried the hatchet. I guess that whole thing where Kay didn't want to pick on the All Star.
3: What is it? The, the, the Brian Windhorse meme? Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? You know? so, yeah.
2: Now, what does this mean? Yeah.
3: <laughs> what a legend. Yeah. He saved absolutely. the offseason content. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out Windy.
2: <laughs> Sorry. My Siri thing came up for some reason. Okay. Um, the game that S has helped me decide we are going to do is he made a tweet a couple of days ago and he was essentially saying that, you know, Boris Dia was a person he thought would be really cool in the modern NBA. So I thought, Ooh, that's fun. Let's look at three players in the 2000 to 2010 era who had their primes in that uh, time of the NBA and talk about why they would be so successful in today's NBA, because it's a very different game. So yes. I got three names, SS three names,
3: sir, after you. Okay. Well, we talked about this a little bit offline, but there's a guy that I feel like is a very clear choice as a Raptor for, for who, you know, a guy who might, who might be like a top 10 player in today's NBA. And that is Chris Bosh. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, look, Raptors fans have their gripes with Chris Bosh and how he left and whatnot, but at at the same time, I think 100%, if you look at the way he played, especially the way he was kind of developing at the tail end of his career as this three-point shooter, as this this guy who was like this all-around creator, stretch four type, stretch five Mm. type, um, Chris Bosh would genuinely be one of the best players in the NBA today if he played now, especially because his defensive prowess was Mm. also getting better throughout his career. It's so unfortunate that his career was cut short because I do think in that like in that tail end of his prime, he really could have made some big money just being that like yeah. stretch four stretch five type. Yeah. Spread the uh the space the floor, yeah. uh, block shots on the other end, weak side rim protector, all that stuff. That is Chris Bosch. And and not yeah. to mention when he was with the Raptors, he was a pretty good creator for himself. Like he he sure. had that he had that mid-range pull-up yeah. that he went to, the little jab step and pull-up. Like that. That's some patent Chris Bosch stuff. So like yeah. Yeah. I think Chris Bosch is a pretty easy answer here for that, for that prime picking him in there.
2: No, man, I don't I don't blame you with that one. I thought you were gonna go. I wasn't expecting Chris Bosh, but it makes sense. Like, I don't know why it didn't come to mind that you're <laughs> going to say him. But, yo, like, I, I love Chris Bosh's game. I think, um, I think he was before his time in a lot of ways, right? While mm-hmm. we talked about, you know, Jonas Valanciunas being before his time or after his time, you know, yeah. because of the way M- the NBA pivoted. Chris Bosh, like, he would be a monster in today's NBA. He could be um, the do-it-all player. He could be a true, like, franchise cornerstone right yeah. um yeah. and there were questions when he left the raptors like was he that guy could he be that guy even though he had just put up like 24 points per game on and 12 rebounds on like 50% shooting we're questioning like, can you be that guy no his team sucked that's what happened that's why things didn't yeah. go very well um but he was finding his uh his rhythm as a three-point shooter he had bulked up a little bit but he was still very fast and that's like your sweet spot like you think about what Giannis is now I'm not saying they're comparable but like strength and speed that combination and si- wise, yeah, yes, yeah yeah and, and size and then you add in his three-point shot he had a true pick and pop game which is actually one of the more unstoppable things in today's nba because of the spacing you know you can see that high pick and roll with insert point guard here like what are you going to do you
3: know yeah imagine if imagine if chris bosh was on today's raptors team uh, oh, you know, pick and roll mm. with Fred. Fred, yeah. you pop yeah. right. He's yeah. wide open at the top. <laughs> Bang! Like it's yeah. it would be it would be bread and butter at that point. <laughs> I know. You know? Jorge
2: Garb.
3: Hey, oh, I knew you were going to say Jorge. Sorry. Yeah.
2: yeah. Jorge Garbajosa. So I, I'm saying him because one, you you know his game. Um, it fits perfectly in today's NBA. But also the way things ended for him, he had such a short time in the NBA because of the injury that he suffered. But you look at his ability to. One, protect the rim in his own way. He had great feet. He could guard on the perimeter. He could dribble the ball. He could hit shots. He was your prototypical, like, maybe he could play five, but he was like a four in today's NBA, but he could yeah. also guard down to twos and threes, and he could be a monster. He would be so well-paid. And he had that, like, look about him. He was a 30-year-old rookie. I loved it, <laughs> you know? Um, and he was a very smart player, too. You could trust him to make the right pass. So. Yeah. That's the name that came to mind for me.
3: I love I love the Jorge pick. I think he would be like one of the more, you know, like we say three and D, but like he, he wouldn't be a three and D necessarily, yeah. but he would fit in that. Um, He's like a Swiss army knife on offense yeah. and defense. He can do a lot of everything. A guy that kind of comes to mind in a similar vein is andre karolinko ak-47
2: oh i thought about him too yeah 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 yeah
3: yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. i think i mean in a se- in like a, a a similar vein to jorge garbajosa you know he could do a little bit of everything on offense but he was also this utility knife on defense mm. he could guard multiple positions and in this like positionless basketball yeah. era that we play in he would fit in perfectly he could he could play a little bit of small ball five you know play the yeah. four play the three even switch out and guard some twos and ones mm. so like That's the exact type of player you need. And like he's, his defense was just insane to think about. So yeah, AK 47 up there for me.
2: Great one. This is um, a bit of a, it doesn't really fit the names that we've talked about so far, but hear me out. Bill great. Bill Russell, right? He said this quote at the end of the day, this game is about getting buckets
3: buckets. Yeah.
2: So I am saying Gilbert arenas because I like it. Yeah. Right. Like you think about how elite he was as a scorer. He was a 35 piece. Game in, game out for like years. He was so gifted, and it didn't matter where he was on the court. It was pull-up threes. It was catch-and-shoot threes. It was step-back threes. He had a scoring ability, and he did not care about passing. That's fine. He could just go out there, and you know in today's NBA, he could get you 40 any given night. And probably in most cases, he might get you 40. He is one of those guys where – you know, you hear retired players and they're saying that, you know, I can get 40 in today's NBA. It'd be so easy. He would get 40 yes. every single yeah. game because he was yeah. that good as a, and he could drive to the basket and he could finish around the rim and he had like a mid-range game. He would be unstoppable because of the spacing in today's NBA
3: what you we what we see in like a damian lillard now mm. is what you could have seen if gilbert arenas played in this era i i really i totally agree with that it's like it's an unconventional pick but like it's there's no question that he yeah. would dominate in this era just because of how many pick and rolls teams run nowadays yeah how much space there is how much How much more, just like in general, how much more guys shoot? Like I Mm -hmm. I would be curious to see how many three-point attempts was like Gilbert Arenas' career high, right? Compared to what what like the average is for like a Damian Lillard now. Damian Lillard, even Fred VanVleet, he'll he'll attempt like 10. I think he attempted 10 last year. Gilbert Arenas' career high, and this is actually pretty good, for 2006, 2007 is eight. He attempted three, mm-hmm. he attempted eight three-point attempts a game yeah. in the 2006-2007 season, which is probably, it probably was near a league high at the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, expand that out to 2021 and Gilbert yeah. would be insane. Um, yeah. And he had okay. range too.
2: Just, and yes. he had range. And yes. he had range. He could yeah. shoot from 30 feet. He could, he would be that guy. And then the downhill speed, mm. he would have been really sweet. Okay. Your next name.
3: Logo, Logo Gil. Um, yeah. Yeah. i I gotta say um this this guy is probably in a similar vein to the jorge garbajosas to the 47s but i do think and he would fit really well on the raptors too at least with the ethos of what the raptors are lamar odom i really do think lamar i had the same name oh did you Nice. okay okay okay. lamar odom would be like he, uh, look he could make plays he could defend he was yeah. uh he was like this six seven six eight six nine point guard so mm-hmm. he was really really incredible at like having a vision he was great in transition so like a lot of the things that the raptors actually do in a lot of ways he would just yeah. be like a prototype of the scotty Barnes, sure. pascal siakam the banton type yeah um but yeah i think lamar odom would be absolutely insane mm-hmm. in the in today's nba
2: Guard tendencies, he really did move like a guard. And that's the separator for me, is that he was so fluid in his movements. You could see with a Pascal, with an OG, and even a Scotty. is that they do look like big players, right? They can do a lot of things. their credit but they don't move as fluidly as like a wide receiver when they're running you know but lamar odom he looks like a wide receiver when he's running you know yeah chris the actually is a person that comes to mind that looks like a wide receiver when he's running because he's got that true athletic ability but with the ball man he was so quick he had those long strides he can get in the paint he had a pull-up that was beautiful he was a swiss army knife man he was the the ways you could weaponize him in today's nba as a as a post-up player pull-up player mid-range uh, catch and shoot um, above the break in pick yeah. and roll as a screener mm.
3: yeah oh my god imagine Lamar Odom on the short roll like a lot of that uh it would it's yeah it would be a lot of fun to watch Lamar Odom those are those are a couple guys that I think like I think all of the guys we picked right there would yeah. just translate so well into today's NBA
2: hell yeah that was a fun combo man thank you so much yeah. for joining me man what's uh what's going on Absolutely. for you
3: uh, man, I've got a video coming out on Friday. It is about who I currently think will win the 2023 NBA championship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a little little spicy take there, but yep. I've also got a video coming out about Bill Russell in a couple weeks, which uh, should be really, really fun. Uh, I, I had a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stories there to kind of understand unwrap and unveil so sure that's uh that's it for me man go check out the the scores youtube channel and appreciate you as always for having me on man yeah like and subscribe to that kind of stuff as does great work and he will be
2: here all season doing it again so yes, everyone sir. thank you so much keep on enjoying your summer smile get the, get some sunshine in go for a swim whatever keep on doing that stuff and the raptors will be back very very soon but and we will be back as well for more content but for now have a good one
3: take care